Welcome to show 56 of the C-Suite podcast, the uh, final show of three that we've been recording in partnership with Microsoft from their Future Decoded event in Excel London, where on each of the uh, two days of the event, around 14,000 of the brightest decision makers, developers and IT professionals have been attending inspirational talks, hands-on workshops and an interactive partner area. Uh, through discussions around digital transformation, artificial intelligence, cloud for good and digital skills, Microsoft is presenting an inspired vision of the digital business of tomorrow. And we've been giving you a little taster of what hot on the agenda this year on these podcasts and there's more to come in this next episode. My name is Russell Goldsmith and we're now going to look more at technology development and innovations and so to kick things off it's a welcome back to the C-Suite podcast to Microsoft's UK CMO Scott Allen and uh, Scott is joined by Adobe EMEA's lead digital strategist Ed Atchison and uh, the two of them are actually presenting together at the event on the topic of increasing your customers lifetime value so welcome gents. Uh, Scott let's come to you first because uh, Future Coded is your big event of the year what's been the feedback so far? Well, hopefully you'll agree that the atmosphere here is electric. I think it, you can hear the noise it, in the background there. It's pretty so noisy it's here. Pretty yeah, noisy. Absolutely. And, and that's testament to the fact that we've had 24,500 people register for the event. And we've had a record turnout. This is our fourth one. And we've got around 52% more people this year than we had last year. And last year was a really, really successful event. So, so far, so good. We're only a quarter of the way through. But I think the bit that's really worked well is the bringing together of the business audience and the technical audience. So we've got business and technical running on both days and that means you can pick and choose what sessions you go to and us not deciding if you want to choose business because you're a CMO, you might want to go to technical sessions. So that's worked really, really well and we're seeing people really stretching across the different sessions during the course of the day, which is great. Um, I think the two things that are really standing out for me are the brilliant partners we've got here uh, in the expo. They're really serving up some great customer experiences. So for those people who have been down here, they're, they're getting on the stand and really getting deep with the technology, but it's more experiential rather than just product demos. I think that, that's been really, really good. And we've got some great partners here that are, are showcasing that. Um, and I think this morning, the keynotes that we ran were, were great. We had some really good Microsoft executives speaking. We had Greg Williams, who's editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine, uh, also presenting as well. And you saw digital transformation and what it means come to life. Some great uh, demos of our Surface technology with some great Surface devices coming through now. And finally, it was great just to hear about how digital transformation is changing people's lives, not just organizations' lives. So there were some touching stories yeah. as well that, that brought a tear or two to the eye That's as well. a great summary in terms of how much is going. I mean, it is a huge, huge event. Ed, Ed what's been your sort of first impressions of it? It's been a great event. It's actually my first time I've been to Microsoft Decoded event, uh, and I'm really impressed. The quality of the speakers, the keynotes, the exhibition floor itself, and everyone's enthusiastic, even to the great band outside playing at lunchtime. <laughs> it's been a, it, it's, it's almost a party atmosphere at certain points. Brilliant. Well, talking of quality of speakers, uh, as I mentioned, you two are speaking together. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Scott, just give us a, a quick overview of what you're going to be talking about. So you said at the top, the title is around increasing your customer's lifetime value. So what do we mean by that? Well, we'll start by describing what digital transformation is being used a lot in the industry digital transformation so we'll try and break that down from a customer viewpoint rather than from the product viewpoint but very quickly we want to start lasering in on what we mean by marketing transformation or as I like to call it modern marketing so what is what are we doing to be modern marketeers and what are we doing to be a modern marketing organization 
Um, we will touch on four key areas as we go through the presentation. So Ed and I will cover these four areas as we present, and that will be sort of going across connected customer journeys, having a modern demand center. So how are you really doing lead generation that is connected to the customer and relevant to the customer? ensuring that technology and data is playing a pivotal role in what you do. Often, you know, you can have a really great force about what you want to do, but the technology has to be able to do it for you. And then the bit that often people forget about is, do you have a team that can help you become modern marketing or modern marketeers? And if not, can you give them the skills um, to allow them to, to do that? And lastly, what processes do you need to in order to be successful? Often a lot of people forget about the process piece and they're using old processes with new technology. So we're going to try and cover off those sort of four areas during the course of the, uh, the 45 sure. minute presentation. Uh, on, on that topic of, of uh, the marketing function, what, what do you think is required to drive that, that transfer, you know, transformation within that, that particular area of the business? There's a number of a number of things that we look at and if you look at digital holistically, there's, there's lots of things you need to do around the right content strategy, how you uh, show up online, what your social strategy is, et cetera, et cetera. But the bit I've been talking a lot about recently is data and insights and that really being the muscle of the marketing department moving forward and certainly is the muscle of CMO within uh, Microsoft. And what we've uh, really tried to look at is data and insights playing a key role in the marketing that you do. It's still important that you look backwards, so the hindsight thing is important. Uh, we as marketeers are great at reporting on what we do, and you have to still do that because you have to understand what worked and what didn't. But what you're going to hear me talk more about is insight and foresight. And marketing departments are generally rich on data, poor on insight. So it's great to serve data up. It's great to have all that data, but you need interpreters. You need really, really strong interpreters. And that's where our data and analytics team come into their own because they can interpret that data and they can help give you the, the insight that you need to start making the right sort of marketing decisions. And as we go further forward, the, the word foresight really means about what have we done that's been successful in the marketing we do and could we repeat that with other customers that also ensures that we can get more relevant with them but hopefully that they, they buy their, their products from us. And a really good example of that is looking at the data buy-in of an organization and the individuals that we touch during that buy-in cycle and then seeing are there lookalikes, other customers that are doing the same same right. thing and have the propensity to buy the same products. If they do, let's do the same sort of marketing, push the same sort of um, messages and content out to them because hopefully you will also get them to want to engage with you and, and, and buy the product from you. So you'll hear a lot about that sort of insight and foresight, but don't forget about uh, looking back because that's still you know important to do yeah. as well. Ed, let's, let's bring you back in on, on this. Adobe and Microsoft have a pretty close working relationship um, can you give us a bit of background on, on how your technologies all come together? So Microsoft Adobe have actually been working together for years, but uh, our two organisations have decided to actually come together formally and actually create a partnership at every single level, not just in terms of a marketing stunt. Uh, we're very serious about it. We're moving all of our... Uh, cloud platforms onto the Azure platform bit by bit and we have a lot of them so it takes a little while uh, and together with uh, a common data model which enables us to swap data without anyone having to worry about date formats, lengths of characters, all that kind of stuff we can exchange data and then we've got the partnership of Microsoft Dynamics Power BI and our experience cloud working all together uh, on point-to-point -point integrations at the moment and in the future, 
seamlessly. Sure, you, you say it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the word marketing stunt there because this is more that you know you hear a lot about technology partnerships in the industry, mm. but I guess this is a lot more than that. Yeah, absolutely, it is. It, it's not just about doing a, a press announcement and putting it onto the website with a blog. This is about how the technology of Dynamics, Azure, Power BI, and the Adobe Marketing Cloud come together to deliver that powerful, comprehensive experience that we want to give our customers. As a marketeer, I'm really excited by it. You'll see Adobe have been here for the first time ever at Future Decoded, and you'll start to see Microsoft and Adobe in the UK showing up together jointly, not just at events, but just things we do and, and customer announcements that we make. So really excited about what the future holds for it. Excellent. So Ed, can you give any examples of how this all then relates in, in a client's business? I think it's about, for a lot of businesses, it's about a marketeer being able to analyze the data themselves, and then if they need help, go to the data team for a deeper insight. They might have some ideas about the hypothesis. They can then formulate a test plan to test that hypothesis, and then it's about actually being able to change within hours the, a customer experience to test that hypothesis. It's no longer about raising a business case, putting in uh, for a budget for development and for design resource, and three months later you get a change on the website. And it's been such a hard job to get that change or to test that marketing communication that no one really wants to actually focus on the results and the hindsight tends to go a little bit out the window. Everyone just wants to slap each other on the back and say, job well done. But it should be rapid testing, continual innovation. So how would you actually uh, sum up how you are delivering a customer lifetime value in, in one sentence then? Ed, Ed, let's stick with you on this one. So it's about gaining access to the right data combined with beautiful, compelling content, adding artificial and human intelligence to that to create an experience platform. And Scott? I think the theme that will come out of the presentation today is that experiences matter more than ever, and we're talking a lot about that. I mean, customer experience is talked about a lot, but really now the experience does matter more than ever. So in a sentence, I would say experiences matter more than ever, and it starts with having a good mix, the right marketing mix, using the right technology, and ensuring your team has the right skills. And as a marketing leader, I need to make sure that the team has been set up for success to do that. Brilliant. Uh, Ed Atchison and Scott Allen, thanks for kicking off this podcast and best of luck with your presentation. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, so joining me now, fresh from his talk on Tech Trends Decoded, is Microsoft CTO, Michael Wignall. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Uh, so um, how did the talk go this morning? Was it busy? It was very busy. Actually, standing room only. We had Amazing. to turn some people around. It was, it was a great talk. It was tech trends decoded so it was high level introductory getting everyone on the same page it wasn't deep dive there's so many fantastic sessions that go into the depths of technology today right. and really what I was trying to do was position a number of the technologies in real world business context talk about the fourth industrial revolution and how these trends are impacting their organizations and the customers they serve okay so um, there may be some of our listeners thinking it's all very interesting you know all these all these trends that you're talking about but what does it actually mean in the context of my actual job but that what you know what would be your response to someone who, who says something like that I think I, know I characterize it and the reason I pivot around the fourth industrial revolution is people think about say the first industrial revolution and machinery replacing horsepower and people power and you know dramatically impacting their lives in the UK and, and people recognize that as a, a monumental shift what we're doing right now in the fourth industrial revolution is very similar in fact I think it'll have a bigger shift both on how we 
work and the tools that we use and the way that technology can enhance how we work, but also in our consumer lives. And I think we're seeing some of the impact on our consumer world um, actually much quicker than we're seeing in our in our business world. In the uh, in the billing to your uh, to, to your talk, it talked about you know you're going to be talking about bots and blockchain and uh, and, uh, yeah. and obviously other other things like that. Can can you share some real life examples of where some of that to technology actually comes into play? Yeah, you're right. It was, it was blockchain. It was um, bots. It was machine learning. I talked about cyber and big data and IoT and cloud and quantum. Um, I think some of the best real-world examples, using bots uh, as one, um, we've done some fantastic work with Dixon's and Carphone Warehouse um, around using a combination of bots and artificial intelligence to augment the human work. So a person can uh, access their shopping cart online and they're looking at recommendations and specs what they want to buy. When they went into the in-store experience, that didn't follow with them and they couldn't um, take that information to talk to the store clerk. And so using yeah. bots online on their web portal, they could capture that information. It was, it was then using AI to provide them with suggestions and recommendations. You might like this based upon your previous habits. And then when they walked into the store, all that information was available for the store clerk to be able to help them there and there to make the whole um, interaction much more efficient. Right, okay. Um, so obviously there's lots of amazing technology on, on show here at, at Future Decoded. I'm actually going to be chatting a little uh, later on in, in this uh, podcast with Visor who's been working on a mixed reality HoloLens solution. So that, that looks amazing. Yep. Um, I guess in your role you get to see pretty much everything that's, that's, that's going on and being developed. So is there anything that stood out for you here at, at the show so far? What, you know, wandering around the yeah, expo? Yeah, I mean, or, it's or been, it has been amazing. As you said, there's so much good tech, whether it's mixed reality um, or artificial intelligence or this afternoon talking about quantum computing, which I think is going to blow our mind. Uh, mixed reality is one. I think the theater here, the queues are an hour-long wait to get in. Uh, some of the keynotes from the vision sessions this morning, Julia White showing some of this bot examples and AI was, was fantastic. Um, and then also, and I think you might have had this um, on the podcast earlier, doing the research uh, with Emma and, and helping with Parkinson's as well. I think that's a fantastic use case as well. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that, that particular one is on a, uh, a, a separate, we, we're splitting up these podcasts for just for our listeners' benefits. So you're, you're, you're referring to the interview I've done with Haiyan. Um, so that's on a uh, different podcast, but do look, look out for that one because uh, amazing story um, about Project Emma. Um, to finish off, um, given you've been talking about tech trends, uh, what can we expect to see over the coming 18 to 24 months? I think the biggest takeaway is a lot of the tech trends I talked about today are here today. So it's not about 18 to 24 months. You can take vision APIs or bots or blockchain or the advances in cloud and big data and, and use them in your daily life. And we really try to democratize that and make it easy for you to use. I think looking a little bit further out, the big things about quantum. Um, and you know, quantum will fundamentally change the way we think about the world. Imagine you know, solving problems in a billion different universes in, in parallel. It, it blows your mind. And though I think maybe 24 months is optimistic, but I think definitely in the next five years we'll see a real life working quantum computer. Can you give us an example of you know, where that might sit? Yeah, I think the, the best analogy I use to bring it to life is um, classical computing when it's solving a maze. You think a traditional maze, you might try one entrance to try to get to the center, it doesn't work, and then you try the next, and you try the next, and classical computing works that way. It tries multiple um, attempts to get to the right answer. 
We're in a quantum world where you can try all possibilities at once. It simultaneously tries everything to get to the answer and it can do it much, much quicker. And so the implications, we can do it in um, solving global warming or looking at um, the, the human genetic um, process and precision medicine or looking at better ways to do crypto security. All these applications are dramatically made possible by quantum computing. That's great. Really interesting stuff. Uh, Michael Wignall, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Now, I think I can uh, quite confidently say that this is the first time I've interviewed a fellow of the uh, Royal Society. So it's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the show Chris Bishop, uh, who also happens to be the uh, Laboratory Director at Microsoft Research Cambridge. So welcome to the show, Chris. Hello. Uh, How did that feel, being elected as a fellow of the Royal Society back in May? Well, it's an incredible honour, an incredible privilege. The, The Royal Society is the world's oldest scientific body that's still in operation and uh, it goes back more than 350 years. Wow. So it's a, a tremendous uh, privilege and honour. Uh, I think the highlight for me was signing the, the charter book. This goes back right to the origins of the Royal Society. Incredible. It's a historic document, but it's a living document yeah. because it's, uh, it was signed by Charles II and it's been signed by many of the greatest scientists who've ever lived, Einstein, Newton, Darwin, uh, and I got to a, add my name. That's one hell of an autograph book, isn't it? It's extraordinary. <laughs> quite extraordinary. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Well, congratulations on that. Now, um, the research lab that you head up is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. Um, you've been there from the very start. If you went back 20 years to speak to your former self about where we are now with machine learning and AI, what, what do you think your response would be? Ah, that's a great question. Um, if I look back on the last 20 years, I think progress in, in machine learning and AI has been, particularly in the last five years or so, a lot faster than I had anticipated. I actually started my career in physics, but about 30 years ago, I made this quite radical decision to change careers and move into computer science. And the reason was because of some new techniques called neural networks. And I thought that neural networks could be the future of computing. Uh, and it's sort of turning out that way, but maybe sort of 20, 25 years later than I had sure. uh, originally expected. So I think my, my comments to myself 20 years ago would be sort of stick with it because this is going to be very big one day. Excellent. Okay. Uh, now you're presenting here at Future Decoded in uh, one of the technical keynotes. Um, do you want to give a, our listeners a little taster of what that presentation is? is going to contain? Yes, I thought what I'd do in my talk is something a little bit different. So at Future Decoded, we've got a couple of days of uh, showcasing amazing technologies and services and and tools that that developers and others can use in in AI and beyond. What I thought I would do is step back a little bit and just take uh, 30 minutes or so to introduce one or two very important concepts in machine learning that I hope will help people understand, uh, as it were, a sort of roadmap for where this is going, because there are some some aspects of machine learning that are very fundamental that won't change because they're based on mathematical theorems ultimately, which I think help I hope will help people understand the nature of machine learning and give, give us a sense of what we might expect in the years to come. Yeah. So can you give us some real-life examples of where your work on machine learning you know, and, you know, fits with AI um, you know, and is currently being used? Oh, sure. I mean, lots of examples. I mean, uh, one area that I'm very excited about right now is healthcare. Okay. Uh, one of the projects we're working on there is called Inner Eye. And this is a research project that's looking at the use of computer vision, AI techniques, to uh, help radiation oncologists with a very important task of analyzing medical images prior to doing radiation therapy planning. So it's a very sad fact that uh, over the age of about 60, something like half of us will get cancer 
uh, and half of those will need radiation therapy. And that therapy needs to be planned. And that, that means working out the three-dimensional position and shape and boundary of the tumour in order that the radiation can be directed so as to cause as much damage to the tumour as possible oh. and as little damage to all of the, the vital organs and the healthy tissue. Yeah. And that's a process right now which is very uh, time-consuming and laborious. It takes the oncologist several hours to do this. And we can use machine learning to speed up this process and get it down to a few minutes. And this really allows the oncologist to, do, uh, to get through a lot more images and to really devote their energies and their skills to things which are much better done by a person. I'm, I'm actually speaking to uh, one of your colleagues, Haiyan Zheng, on another podcast from, from Future Decoded. She's talking about the, the work she's been doing on, on uh, Project Emma, which uh, anyone listening to this one, if you get to listen to that, you must download it because it's truly inspiring. Um, but is healthcare, a, you know, clearly a, a big part of what you're working on at the moment then? Increasingly so. We're growing quite quickly in the healthcare yeah. space. The reason is, first of all, that healthcare is, if you like, the biggest industry on the planet. It's the biggest cost for most societies. Yeah. Uh, and the costs, as we know, are growing. It's becoming a tremendous financial burden on society. Yet at the same time, health outcomes are, are stagnating. We're seeing uh, people living increasingly with uh, long-term uh, diseases such as dementia and uh, cancer and diabetes. Uh, and, and yet, in many ways, the healthcare process is in a relatively primitive state. It's really ripe for digital transformation and in particular for a very data-driven AI-centric approach. So I'm very hopeful, uh, maybe even confident, that over the next decade we'll see uh, truly a revolution in healthcare which really puts the patient at the center yeah. and is really driven very much by data so that your healthcare becomes an ongoing daily process, not simply something that happens every few years when you become ill and go to hospital. Yeah. Okay, well you, uh, you mentioned decade there, so that's led me on to my final question because actually I want to talk about two decades time because uh, we, we, we said just before that uh, it's, it's 20 years since you started the research lab. So if we were to go forward 20 years, um, where do you think we'll be in, in, in 20, sort of 37 in terms of machine learning and AI? Aha. Well, when I looked forward 20 years to today, I think the two mistakes <laughs> I made was, was overestimating how quickly we'd progress in the near term, but then underestimating how this would take off. So I'll yeah. try not to make the same mistake this time. But uh, I, I think we are going to see tremendous progress in the next few years. Uh, in the field of machine learning, we'll see many, many applications. And I think healthcare will be one of the most important, but not the only one by any means. The background to all this, though, is this very long-term aspiration about true artificial intelligence. I think it goes back seven decades to Alan Turing, and uh, it's really been rejuvenated by the promise of machine learning. That aspiration of artificial intelligence still looks to be many, many decades away. We can't yet get a robot to climb a set of stairs. We can't have a proper conversation with a machine. If I really speculate 20 years ahead, perhaps we'll start to see a bit of progress on some of those really deep challenges around true intelligence, but who knows? Well, maybe we'll come back in 20 years and have another chat on, on, on another <laughs> podcast. But for now, um, thanks so much, Chris Bishop, for, for uh, taking the time to join us and battling through the noises. It's getting very loud here. And uh, best of luck with your presentation. Thank you very much. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to the show in iTunes by searching for the C-Suite Podcast in the iTunes Store. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. 
Joining me now is Peter Dean, Vice President of Visor, the virtual and mixed reality developers. And uh, Peter is here at Future Decoded to launch Vertex, a very exciting mixed reality platform. And I can actually confirm that because I had a demo of it. Um, and it will make it possible for global design teams to work across multiple locations on multiple devices and collaborate on live design projects all in real time and all while you're actually standing in the space that you're designing. So to make more sense of all that, Peter, uh, could you give us an example of where you see Vertex being used? Sure. Uh Hi, Russell. It's great to be here. Excellent. Yeah. Um, you know what? The more I talk to customers, um, the more possibilities we, we, we envision, we see. Um, and and uh, there are so many possibilities. It's, uh, it's actually a little bit confusing and mind-blowing. So we try to focus down on a few things. Uh, and two of the applications that we think mixed reality really works well with is one in manufacturing, where we're working with a cardboard, um, sort of high-quality cardboard manufacturing company at the moment. And, and they prototype stands high quality stands for people like Universal. And it's a very physical two-dimensional process that they go through to design and prototype that, um, those cardboard stands. It's very labor intensive, it's very materials intensive, and they use two-dimensional designs to, to produce, produce them. Um, and it's, it's crazy that they have to do that. And, and so mixed reality allows them to completely cut out all of the waste, cardboard waste that, that, that occurs, um, and the design, uh, you know, design phase is actually massively shortened by using holographic technology in the HoloLens. Right. And, and what about, because the, the demo that I saw uh, was kind of using it within the retail environment as well? Yeah, so we worked with Mars Golf um, uh, a, few months, uh, a few months ago to, to look at the problem they have of designing uh, store shelves. Right. Um, and using planogram tools to, to, to design category uh, placement on shelves. Um, and that's, that again, that's a very two-dimensional, very labor-intensive process, and it costs them huge amounts of money, and they usually get it wrong. <laughs> they end up with the Mars bars on the top when they should have been on the bottom, and lo lots of waste, again, occur occurs in the shop, and, it, and it's very difficult to get that right. Um, so, uh, again, it's a bit like our slogan, you know, business in 3D. Everyone lives in 3D world, right? Um, and but why do they work with two-dimensional tools? It's crazy. They yeah. print stuff out on pieces of paper. So we developed a prototype for them that allows uh, multiple people to work together on a, um, a layout, a shop layout, and a shelving design, and place categories and products and experiment in a you know in, in a holographic environment. It's very quick to set up. It's uh, very um, very efficient from a labour perspective. Um, and it allows them to get a much better idea of, of what things could look like in the real world. One of the um, things that your, your guys were showing me when I was looking at the demo is, or, or explaining is that as you move certain things around, based on the data that you've got, and I'm not, not going to try and get too technical on it, yeah. but the fact that you can start to see like, the impact on the power source that might be there and therefore the heat that might be generated as you're moving things around. Do you want to just explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of tied in with our idea, our idea that it, you know, it's really cool to, to have a you know, holographic environment, move things around and get people to have a look at it and comment and, and uh, you know, ha have a point of view. Um, but you know, what, what's really cool is it, how, do you, how do you leverage some of the signals that are coming from that technology, uh, like eye tracking technology, for instance. Um, so we're looking at leveraging eye tracking technology um, to um, improve the research process. So when retailers build uh, shelves and design shelves, they do that in a physical world, they do it in warehouses, and they bring in consumers, and they ask them to go and shop. And then they ask them lots of questions. It's a very subjective process. Um, and often a lot of people don't actually want to tell you what you want to hear, um, and they actually don't, uh, they don't tell you what actually happened because they perceive something completely different. And the eye tracking technology allows um, 
uh, allows the, uh, the retailers to gather real evidence of what people were looking at and their behavior in a way that they could never do before. So I think bringing in layers of analysis of the surrounding environment and making use of that is an incredibly powerful possibility. Brilliant. Um, you guys are recent graduates of Microsoft's Mixed Reality Partner Program. Can you tell us a little bit about what was involved in, in the program and what it's actually meant for your business? It's a really tough program to get onto and only a few partners actually succeed. Um, so our engineering team had to spend three months with the HoloLens engineering team in the UK just to understand all of the underlying complexities of the technology. Um, and then they were vetted at the end of that process to join the program. And not everybody got on the program. So it means that anyone who's on the Mixed Reality Partner program have vetted and very deep uh, engineering skills uh, around HoloLens and the Mixed Reality platform. Right. And we're very passionate about building high quality uh, products around HoloLens and the Mixed Reality platform. Um, and, and solving a lot of the, the engineering problems that the platform has right now. So it's really cool technology, but actually making it work easily and putting it to work uh, and putting it to useful work is a very difficult thing to do from an engineering perspective. So what other examples of applications can you see HoloLens being used for outside of what obviously you're launching here at the event? Yeah, I think inclusivity is one particular space that's very exciting. We worked with Casper and Microsoft last year. Um, Casper is a charity for uh, people on the autism spectrum. And we built an immersive environment for um, uh, 25 children who came to campus in, uh, in, in Reading uh, to, to understand how it could help them to collaborate more with other people, how to combat some of the challenges that they have, uh, you know, people have on the autism spectrum. And it absolutely blew them away. The, the organizers didn't really know how the children were going to react um, and they loved it because they suddenly had control of their own world and they could collaborate with other people in ways they could never do it before. So I think inclusivity is a big, big opportunity. That's brilliant. Okay, and so what are you hoping to gain from uh, from being here at Future Decoded in um, general? It's, we, this is our big launch, launch of our partnership with Microsoft. We yeah. want everyone to know that we've, we've achieved that partnership. It's, very, very, it's, you know, it's been a very tough thing to do um, and it's the launch of our new product. Um, um, you know, Vertex is a, um, is a, a Microsoft Accelerator alumni, uh, and this is our first launch into big business. Right. So, so we just want to get known, and we want to get lots of exposure, and get people really, really excited about the possibilities of what we've built in Vertex. Okay, well, here's your chance to plug. If anyone wants to get any more information on that, or, or, or in fact, anything around HoloLens, what, you know, what's the best place for them to go to? Peter.Dean at visor-vr.com, uh, or go to our website, visor-vr.com. Fantastic. Peter, thanks very much for taking uh, some time away from the event to uh, join the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm now joined by Angela Evans, Microsoft's Office Business Group Lead in the UK, and the topic we're going to be discussing is the modern workplace, which begs the question, Angela, what is modern workplace? Thanks, Russell. The concept of modern workplace isn't new, and as technology offers more capabilities, you find that generations adapt to that, and therefore the concept of the modern workplace also evolves. And I also think as people are working longer, the blend of working styles also changes. For example, in 2020, we expect 50% of workers to be millennials, and they seek to work differently, more collaboratively, and they also look for different spaces to work in. So rather than your traditional office, they want different touchdown spaces where they can meet with people and easily interact with each other. They also want to work more remotely, anytime and anywhere, and it's important that they have the tools and the digital workspaces available to do that. 
The other thing is that employer expectations are changing too. So there's a real shift away from like routine tasks, um, the same thing every day. And there's a need for people across all different types of roles to be more creative. All of that also brings with it security risks. And the challenge is, you know, there's a demand on pressure to give open flow of information, give people the, the data that they need to work effectively. But that, that gives the tension that it's a critical to really protect your sources of data in your estate because threats are more common, they're more complex and advanced, and they target everybody in the organization. You said at the top there about um, companies you know, having to adapt. What, what sort of tips or, or what should they be thinking about to adapt to this whole modern, you know, modern yeah. workplace? Yeah, good question. Thank you. So for me, when you're thinking about how your design of your modern workplace, I would look at it into four different areas. The first one I'd say, think about the composition of your workforce. You know, what is your blend of millennials, Generation X, etc.? And also, how do you want that to evolve over time? Um, think about the work styles that they also prefer um, and the environment that they, they are at their best in. And then where are the teams? How are they dispersed geographically? And when do they come together and how do they come together to collaborate? And then the final piece is you know, what type of access to information are they needed? Okay. Uh, I know you have uh, responsibility for the uh, the office category. What what key things should our listeners be aware of? You know that's sort of being talked about here at Future Decoded. Yeah, great. Um, I'd like to talk about Microsoft 365. So okay. Microsoft 365 brings together the best of Office 365, Windows 10, and enterprise mobility and security. And through Microsoft 365, we deliver those services in an integrated and com um, combined solution with intelligence built in. So we have AI present, and whether that's being used to help users be more creative, or if it's used to ways to secure and manage the environment, it's there. Um, and Microsoft 365 key focus areas are really there to address the challenges of the modern workplace that we've talked about. So creativity and teamwork and how we unlock the potential in every individual and help companies build innovation. And then we're focused also on creating an environment with the lowest um, total cost of ownership by integrating simplicity and having security built in. We've um, talked a lot on, on these podcasts uh, about collaboration and all the yeah. different collaboration tools and there are loads of them around. There is. How, how do you know which ones to use or to start with? Okay. So I... I'll answer this by maybe thinking and uh, sharing how I would go about it. Okay. So if I'm going to um, start a new conversation or a new form of collaboration, the first thing I think about is, well, who, who am I talking to? Is it a broad range of people across an organization? Is it like a broadcast message and I want to get inputs from a number of different sources? And if it's that type of um, interaction, then I think of those people as my outer loop. Or are they people that um, I work with very closely, co-create on, um, collaborate on projects and have a very um, close relationship on a regular basis? And I would call those people my inner loop. And I think if you think um, outer loop, the best tool we think for the um, com communication would be Yammer. Um, and if you're thinking in a loop, we would say Microsoft Teams. Okay. And of course, you don't just have your inner loop and out loop. Of course, we all have email as well. And we use email for those um, targeted communications to either one-on-one -on -one or, or specific groups that may be outside of your inner or outer loop. Right. Okay. So can you give us an example then of how this all comes to life? Um, you know, maybe through sharing an example of one of the clients that you work with. Yes. 
Um, I'd like to talk about Aston Martin. Okay. So nice. we all know who they are. Very yes, nice. 104 years of making beautifully designed cars. Um, and Aston Martin's aim is to actually now uh, make more cars and have a broader reach in the fast-paced environment we have, but not sacrificing what's core to their brand values of quality and yeah. heritage. Um, and they've chosen Microsoft 365 to help them with some of the challenges um, uh, they face in hitting, um, achieving that example. So they look at how they've got multi-sites now and how can they improve collaboration across those sites. Um, they're using Power BI to really help them get advanced uh, business intelligence. And I, it was a great quote from their, uh, one of the um, employees there which said that they've produced more data in the last year than they did in the previous 103 years. So the wealth and richness of insight that's there is amazing. Um, and then they want to energize their creativity within their employees by communicating them and, and keeping the flow of information really effective. And of course, security by design. So close collaboration really um, requires mobility and that must never come at the expense of security. So there's a real focus there. And just, I'd like to really share, if it's okay with you, a quote from um, Marek Reichman, who's their chief creative officer at Aston Martin Lagonda. And he says that, um, I'm going to read it out, is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he says, to achieve our goals for the next century, our designers can't wait around for information. 24 hours makes a difference in the design studio. And he says, we use Microsoft Cloud productivity tools every day to make sure the teams have the right information exactly when they need it that maximizes their creative energy, which translates into the visual excitement you see in the car design. And that's what our customers respond to. That's very nice. Apologies for the noise you just uh, may have heard there. It's just getting very loud here in the Expo Hall. So uh, thank you very much for battling through that, Angela. Um, and uh, thanks for joining the show. Thank you. Joining me now is Praveen Malou, Microsoft's product evangelist for Microsoft Teams. Uh, Praveen has uh, made the trip over to Future Decoded from Seattle. So welcome to the podcast, Praveen. Microsoft Teams, pitch me. First of all, it's great to be here. A lot of excitement. It's my first time at Future Decoded uh, in London. So great to see the energy. Uh, Microsoft Teams, it's a hub for teamwork. Uh, it's, it's a collaboration hub, which brings everything you need as a team uh, to get work done in one place. So what that means is you know, bringing your people who form a team in one place, your conversations that you're having within a team in one place, uh, the files and apps that you're using, um, and other tools like you know, communication services, you know, making phone calls and, um, and having a chat with somebody, audio video calls, web conferencing. So end-to-end -end collaboration needs of a team uh, is in one place. It's a part of Office 365, so it integrates deeply with uh, all the Office apps that you know, most of uh, us are already using, like PowerPoint and Word and Excel. And not just Office apps, we're also integrating with a lot of third-party applications that a lot of teams depend on. For example, if you're a marketing organization, you're using Hootsuite or some other uh, product. If you are a project manager using Asana, Trello, or Smartsheet, for example. So we're working with 200 different partners and growing, um, and we're bringing all these applications into Teams as well. So it's a very open platform, which brings not just Microsoft services, uh, but also third-party applications uh, in one place. And every team is unique, so uh, we realize that every team has different needs. Uh, you know, teams are of different sizes, they have different cultures as well, so we are allowing you to uh, customize every, every team as you uh, deem fit, so that you can, you can customize Microsoft Teams based on your needs as well. Uh, this is 
relatively new for Microsoft. You launched earlier this year, so March 2017. Was this something you've been planning, or, or was it in response to other collaboration tools out there that, that you know, are gaining traction, quite a few of them? Yeah, definitely. Good question. So we've been uh, kind of watching the trends in the industry uh, in terms of what's shaping uh, the collaboration needs. If you look at um, a few of the key industry uh, trends, you know, things like increasing number of uh, millennials in the workforce, you know, five different generations coming into the workforce for the first time in history, you know, millennials, Gen X, Gen Y, baby boomers, whatever you call it, right? Uh, they're bringing in different diverse work styles in one place. So they're having to collaborate and co-create uh, using the technology of today. At the same time, the increasing amount of uh, mobile devices, you know, your workplace is not limited to your office space anymore. People are collaborating, you know, from the factory uh, environment, for example, at the back of a car. You can be productive anywhere. If you're an information worker, you're sitting in a cafe, remote workers, for example. So all these key industry trends are really changing how you're collaborating. And the tools of yesterday do not meet the needs of today. Mm -hmm. And that's how we started thinking about you know, how can we build a tool which meets the needs of today, uh, you know, increasing uh, number of uh, social interactions, for example, with millennials, so bringing all these social habits as well, things like giffies and memes and, uh, you know, fun elements, stickers, for example, into the communication t tools as well, so yeah. that people can relate um, to their, uh, you know, work tools as well, as much as they do in their personal space, if you're using any messaging app, for example. So keeping all of that in mind, we started designing Microsoft Teams quite some time back. And as you said, yeah, uh, there are a few competitors out there who have uh, have done something similar as well. But I, I think uh, we we started working on this about two years back, and then we've been in the market just six months, and it's been great to see the amount of traction and excitement around Microsoft Teams. Yeah, I, I actually use some of the collaboration tools that, that you're talking about, um, you know, myself, but my only, so this is just personal concern over mm -hmm. some of these tools, where you get added to groups and teams, um, and there's this kind of encouragement for, con you know, continuous chat, is like any social channel, the noise then becomes, you know, or can become, you know, relentless, and, and you have this issue of managing all that data flow. Now, you know, if it's your personal social media channels, you know, you can nip in, in and out of them. But obviously for work, you need to be checking everything that comes through. So, so what would be your advice to, to people on how to manage that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think uh, FOMO, the fear of missing out, is, is a key part of it, yeah. right? Which is, hey, I'm in a work environment. Uh, am I missing out on things? Um, and, you know, trying to strike a balance between that and staying focused is really critical. Uh, and we have kind of two aspects to it. One, in terms of technology, what can we do to help you achieve that? Um, so a few things that we do in the product to manage that is making sure that we optimize notifications. Uh, key things like at the rate mentions, where you can mention somebody's name and call out so that you can draw someone's attention when needed and not uh, you know, all the time. So that really helps somebody you know, bring the right level of focus at the product level. We're also bringing in AI now. So for example, if you had a conversation with a certain group of people before talking about a certain topic, we can recognize that and surface that as something which you should be paying attention to. So using technology to help you, um, you know, optimize that so mm. you don't feel that you're missing out, but at the same time you're staying focused on what you're doing. Uh, I think that's really uh, the key element. And uh, the second aspect is just the, uh, you know, the habit of it. You're starting to get used to a new way of working because you're not relying on emails and 10 different tools now. You're just relying on one tool. So, uh, 
you know, building that practice slowly and how you use the tool is also uh, another aspect of sure. it. So a lot of the discussion here at Future Decoded has been about the culture needed in an organization to enable businesses to go on this whole digital transformation journey. With businesses having employees across, you know, maybe three, four generations in, in, in some uh, instances, what's been the reaction that you've seen to implementing Microsoft Teams in those uh, companies that you work with? Yeah, I think one thing that has been consistent across different kinds of businesses, you know, small to medium and different verticals and, you know, healthcare and financial and whatnot, has been the cultural transformation uh, and the cultural change that is being driven because of Microsoft Teams. It's not just another tool, it's changing the way people collaborate and changing radically because it's no longer about you know, individual productivity, it's about team productivity now. You're not doing emails and you're not using file storage somewhere uh, in a siloed environment. You're now collaborating in a very open, transparent, uh, democratic environment, digital environment. So it's the equivalent of an open office space, if you uh, think of it um, in that sense, right? So it gives everyone a voice um, in, in the team. It gives uh, everyone a chance to uh, collaborate and create um, and really raise awareness around what they're doing in the entire team. So that changes uh, the conversation drastically when it comes to you know, cultural transformation. The second benefit that we've seen across the board, uh, across different customers, is uh, the increase in uh, productivity, definitely, right? So for example, if you are collaborating in a traditional environment today, you are using email, you're using file storage, and you can be doing a lot of back and forth, you can uh, be in a you know, completely different um, uh, context, right? And uh, getting everyone in the same environment really increases the productivity uh, right off the bat. Uh, you know, if you have a new team member joining, you are in Microsoft Teams and they have access to everything you need to know. So really being able to ramp up quickly because if you're in a team, the norming and forming part of it is really critical. How quickly can you get together as a team and start uh, you know, being productive? Uh, you do not have a lot of legway today because it's really fast-paced across every industry. So how quickly can you come together and start collaborating? And I'll just add something uh, to wrap this up, uh, the increase in transparency as well uh, in the you know, workplace. That's been a, a critical uh, change as well that we have seen across the board. Excellent. Well, it's, uh, it's getting louder and louder here, so it's probably time for us to, uh, to finish this, this particular podcast off. Um, but if anyone wants to go um, and find out more information about Microsoft Teams, where's the best place for them to uh, find that? Teams.microsoft.com. It's as simple as that. If you have an account, if you already signed up for Microsoft Teams, you'll be able to sign in and start using it today. And if not, you'll find the right resources to help you get started. Uh, another place to go to would be aka.ms slash successwithteams. That will help you with you know guidance around planning and deployment and anything else you need to know around Microsoft Teams. Fantastic. Uh, Praveen Malu, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to chat. Thanks for having me. That's actually it for this final podcast from Microsoft Future Decoded. Uh, don't forget there were two other episodes in this special mini-series that we've been producing in association with Microsoft that you can listen to, uh, and they were on the topics of driving cultural transformation and technology for good. Um, and you can listen to those and, in fact, all previous shows of the C-Suite podcast at our website at csuitepodcast.com. Plus, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher by searching for the C-Suite podcast, of course. And if you're on iTunes, please do give the series a positive rating and review as that helps us up the business charts. Uh, you can also get involved in the conversation on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed, which are linked from the website. And finally, if you want to get involved in the series yourself in any way, then you can contact me on Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith or by using the contact form on the website. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.